you are listening. I'm feeling pretty gracious. Who wants some free merch? Adventures. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're going to bag like a little kitty cat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, show me you want it. Show me you want it, you dirty little festival kids. Bisexuals are full of shit again, I'm sorry to say. Remember back in the summer, I broke a story. I broke a story. I broke a bi story. I sounded a bi siren on this show. I stood at the shore of Sex Negative Island, looked out at the tides of history, adjusted my Jack Nicholson binoculars. I squinted like Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. And just for a second, I thought I saw something move. At first, it looked a lot like a thin man trying desperately to repair an old couch. But as I looked closer, and because some good Samaritan had pulled down his underwear so as to just reveal the cheeks of his buttocks, it turned out that he was making love. And the couch was no couch at all. It was a woman. And when the job was done, I congratulated the gentleman on his diligent efforts. And he made it known that if I had caught him at an earlier hour, desired some repairs of my own, he might have been willing to lend a hand. And I said, huh, but I was startled because I was startled because by and by I had been trained to dismiss the possibility of a byland. People have long suspected that bisexuality is fake, that bisexuals don't exist, that they're full of it, that they're liars, double dealers, iffy closet schemers, two-timing their own hearts with words. 
James Baldwin wasn't bisexual. He was just bi-annoying. People of all generations are skeptical of bisexuals, however little they care about the rest of the $3 bill life. They will strongly state their view that bi is bull. There are no actual bisexuals, they say, at best. And for a decade or so, uh, that view seemed to be vindicated for the last decade. I mean, as liberation became law, bisexuality basically vanished as an identity in the big cities of America, where I dwell and where I visit. You just stopped encountering people who called themselves bisexual unless they were so annoying and preachy about it that they were the exceptions that proved the rule. But then in 2020, all sexuality disappeared. So when I experienced the couch repair scenario in Berlin, and when similar experiences very soon followed in Hamburg, as you can hear in the two-parter mystery uh, I did from there, I thought maybe a path had been cleared for the return of an old persuasion, a thawing of the human heart, a loosening of the kind that has always been second nature to the thespian class, I thought, hey, maybe out of this great void, there cometh a renaissance of something Greek, making its way through the gardens of Allah of old Hollywood, avoiding the town hall reefs of gay marriage and Proposition 8, bringing some good old-fashioned big umbrella love back to the world. You heard it here first, if you were listening back in the summer. And now the news has already trickled down to New York and other sort of suburbs. They're picking up on it over on Canal Street. Buy is back. You see it on the dating profiles. You see it on the surveys. And by the way, I'm not even counting women. I'm just saying uh, on this topic, only the repairmen make a difference. Not, not the sofas. The boys of the Zillennial to Gen Z range are starting to call themselves bi, bi, bi with increasing frequency. And so it's time for an update on the initial breaking report. And unfortunately, the update is, it's all a fagazi. I don't think it's real. I wanted it to be real. I really did but I don't think it is. The bisexuality trend we are seeing right now is a giant bluff, I'm afraid. A procrastination, an avoidance of the brass tacks of brute desire. Bisexuality used to mean you wanted to have sex with both men and women. It now means you want to asexually date women so you can be frenzies and go to gay bars with them instead of misogynistically flirting with men as a man. People have DL, download, discreet, on their profiles now in big American cities. Young people, people who are not in any kind of closet, are identifying as DL. I thought initially... Hopefully, this might be an attempt to jerry-rig some drama into an otherwise inertly bland, liberated atmosphere. And maybe to some extent that's how it started and that's what it is. But for the most part, it's another stupid little gimmick in this zillennial game of one-man hide-and-seek. 
Conventional wisdom about the sketchiness, unreliability, shifty, slippery, uh, slipperiness of the self-identified bisexual sadly seems to be correct. It all made sense in the old days when it was all a sort of modest hedge on a mortifying truth you were not raised to stomach too easily. But now, it just seems like a childish refusal to play the hand you were dealt. I now understand why Eve Babbitts refers to her paramour in Slow Day's Fast Company, a southern dandy, capable of seemingly inexhaustible feats of heterosexual passion, especially when it comes to Eve. I now understand why she refers to him as gay throughout the entire book. Simply gay, never as bisexual. I guess, right now, that's how it ought to be. You're straight, or you're gay, and when you go off script, you don't need to send out a press release. In fact, that's probably what scares a lot of normal people from going off script in the first place, from acting on simple curiosity, or artistic experiment, or just free-spirited emotional availability. The idea of having to then give a press conference and take questions that would then have to follow what this all says about their identity and the questions from the women, if they ever find out. No press conferences. No identifying. Maybe identification is the opposite of being. Maybe we all need to identify less and love more. Maybe we need to play the cards we are dealt and the cards on the table, instead of pretending forever that our queen of cucks is an ace of pussies, and then folding, folding, mucking, mucking the hand, folding, learn the poker metaphors, because I'm going to keep repeating them, folding, every time we are called on the river. Just run and scare. Each place we go So afraid That he might show Yeah, run and
Coachella. Coachella. I used to identify as a type of person who didn't go to Coachella. Not for any specific reason, but you know, it's expensive, traffic, whatever. But that was before it became a symbol of everything the pandemic endangered, possibly forever. It was far from 0% that the 2019 Coachella Festival would be the last ever. So when the post-COVID Coachella was announced, with headliner Kanye West... 2022. Some friends and I decided to shell out the bucks and break our cello cherry. Kanye, of course, dropped out because of a uh, stomach ache or whatever. You can take the dropout out of the dropout, but you can't take the dropout out of the dropout. So anyway, he had a bad bagel um, and he was replaced by the weekend. But the music, the music wasn't the real reason we were going. It wasn't the real draw. I was going as a humble investigator of the post-apocalypse as I've been doing, as I've been going everywhere. Because in many ways, Coachella symbolizes everything the pandemic turned off. Yes, it's a mass gathering of up to 120,000 people per weekend in mid-April, over two weekends in a row. But more importantly, it's an event powered by the one emotion that completely hibernated, at first very pleasantly, at first very pleasantly, completely went into hibernation in the spring of 2020, and that is FOMO. Fear of missing out. But missing out on what? Missing out on what? The festival has seven stages, all going on at the same time from noon to 1 a.m. You got the main stage where the big headliners play. You got the Yuma tent, the only indoor air-conditioned space where the techno never stops, and the line is never logical. You got the Dew Lab, where a psychedelic Burning Man atmosphere prevails, a kind of broasis from the mainstream hustle and bustle. You have the Sahara stage, the Yodi stage, the Mojave stage, and the outdoor theater. And apart from the Dewlab and the Yuma tent, there's no genre consistency on the stages. There's everything from rock to hip hop, to pop, to pop, schmop, to techno, and some of these, the bigger techno names play in the outdoor tents. So huge mobilizations occur after every act as people scramble to their next target. But is it really the music people are afraid of missing out on when they buy those tickets to Coachella? Those very expensive weekend passes, which often, often, and then very expensive uh, lodgings, which I am thankfully, I do not need to pay for. But is it really the music people are afraid of missing out on when they buy those expensive weekend passes to Coachella and book those expensive flights and very expensive lodgings? Weekend one is the glam weekend. The weekend with all the parties and after parties and VIP events. It's the weekend where all the influencers and uh, brand ambassadors flock in. Neon carnival, 
is the biggest after party. And there's a lot of business about people getting on the VI, the lists, the guest lists, the fanciest, most exclusive little party at the house with the pool and the DJs and the thing and the people and all the people. And certainly for many people who come on weekend one, that is, that is what the FOMO is all about. But is it really some listicle influencer party with sponsored cocktails and the possibility of seeing a Leo that people are afraid of missing out on? Is it the possibility of some sound cloud wrapper gracing your eyesight for five seconds that people are afraid of missing out on or getting bracelet number 17 and, and, and getting your little uh, uh, party favor bag with the brand name items and the little stupid lip gloss? Is it even the sexuality that people are afraid of missing out on? The imaginary orgies of sun-fried, unshowered people? What is it? What is it that we're really trying to... What is it that we're trying to... What are the people who go to Coachella afraid of missing out on? I destroyed my foot just as I was about to leave for day one of weekend one of Coachella one of the new world. And so in a silly, struggling, mind-altered, survival-centered mood, I compiled this little diary as I tried to fathom over the course of mostly the Friday, and then there's a little bit from later. As I try to fathom what this iconic event is really about. And what a FOMO-sexual who happens to be there is really afraid of missing out on. Please become a subscriber on Patreon at patreon.com slash filthy Armenian or on the Patreon app and avail yourself of over 40 exclusive episodes and support the show. And uh, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up. And next week, also only for subscribers, will be a diary from weekend to 
2023 Coachella, which just concluded, uh, and it'll be a uh, it'll be a contemplation of what it says about the state of man, machine, and music in our world today. Um, thank you so much for listening, and see you on the other side of the paywall. And please do tell your friends if you enjoy what you're hearing. Um, leave a little rating on your on your app on your on the thing you the thing you're using it for goodbye <laughs>